0: It's good to have kids videos back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's good to be with you guys here today. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. I say this every week and I get one person and uh, we're going to have to improve on that. Anyway, uh, it's good to be with you guys here today. Uh, if I don't know you yet, my name is Graham. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. And uh, again, I'm glad to uh, to be with you here today and excited to see what God's Word has for us today. Um, yeah, I want to begin by asking you guys a question, okay? I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. Who here would say that they like to watch some sort of team sports? Right? Raise your hand. You can raise your hand. So... That could be like soccer or hockey or baseball or football or rugby, like whatever it is. And even for the sake, like you can say, we can say like pretty much any sport in the Olympics, right? So maybe you're like Team Canada uh, when they compete in the Olympics or another country or something like that. Uh, And maybe you don't even like sports, but I hope that you can still appreciate this story, okay? So I would say that I enjoy most sports. I can at least appreciate like the athleticism and skill that are involved in most sports, but there's one thing that I really don't like about sports and that's this guy, right? Do you guys know who that is? That is called the armchair quarterback, okay? He might look a little bit different uh, depending on what you're used to, so he might not look exactly like this, but I suspect you probably know someone who is this guy, okay? What is an armchair quarterback, you might ask? So an armchair quarterback uh, is someone who always knows better than their favorite team. Okay, so I'm gonna give you an example. Anytime something goes wrong with their favorite team, they'll say something like, oh man, they should have done something else. Okay, no kidding, right? Um, so their hindsight though is like 2020, which is convenient for them. Um, But not only do they know what their team should have done when things go wrong, but they also are very quick to take credit when things go right. So I'm gonna give you another example. So you can easily identify an armchair quarterback if they say, we, when their favorite team does something good, okay? So here's another example. We scored, or we won, or we got a gold medal. Right, and it's crazy. Because as soon as something good happens, all of a sudden, like, they're a part of the team. They did something important. Somehow it's like they were out there on the field and and did something amazing with the team. Like, they're very quick to take credit. Um, And so I had a friend once. He was really into the NFL, which is the National Football League. And so we, often, we would talk football together. Um, But whenever he would talk about his favorite team, he would do that. He would say, we. And It became really confusing to me uh, because I didn't really particularly like the team that he liked. And so he would say something like, hey, did you see the the game last night? We scored on a last second field goal. And I'm thinking, well, we didn't really do anything, right? Like, if you're talking about me and you, we weren't weren't there. We didn't help. Um, And, like, since when did you sign an NFL contract, right? Like, that didn't make sense to me. Um, But the language that he used made it seem like he was somehow involved in what the team did, right? Like somehow he should get some credit. And so anyway, all that to be said, similarly today we're talking a little bit about the credit that we deserve in our relationship with God. And we're talking about uh, a bit about the role that we play in salvation and the role that God plays. And so we'll get into that shortly here. Um, Today... Uh, Again, we're continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians. And last week we took a little bit of a break and we had the pleasure of having a guest speaker named Josias. He was preaching from uh, the book of Galatians for us. And so we're really uh, grateful for him and and thankful for the work that he's doing in Gatineau. Um, But today, as I mentioned, we're jumping back into our series in the book of Ephesians. And if you're not familiar with the book... Ephesians was written by a man named Paul, and he's writing to a church in the city called Ephesus. And uh, he wants them to know two things. So he wants them to know, one, who they are as believers in Jesus, and two, some practical ways of living as believers of Jesus. So he wants them to know who they are and how to live like they are believers of Jesus. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, You'll remember we talked about Ephesians one, where Paul prays that the church would be given God's spirit. Um, he says that they would give he would he says that God would give them His spirit of wisdom, or in other words, that they would be they would have a more intimate relationship with God, or that they would know Him better. Uh, and if you remember, one of the points that we talked about was that we can know God more intimately by knowing His grace towards us. And so we briefly talked a bit about our passage from today, from Ephesians 2. And so today, that's kind of where we're jumping back in. So Paul is saying, know this. Know this to have an intimate relationship with God. Know the riches of his grace towards us who believe. So um, we're going to dive right in. Here's what I want us to see from our text today. And so I want to break it up into two major sections. So the first section is... By nature you were, and by God's grace you are. So by nature you were, and by God's grace you are. Um, So we're going to elaborate on that; those two sections as we look at our natural condition and then our condition because of God's grace. So we're going to begin by reading our text today. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be for today. So, Ephesians chapter 2, and starting in verse 1, and it's going to be on the screen for us as well. Here's what it says it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So, um, as we just read, we're going to explore, and as we're going to explore more deeply today, we're talking about some pretty tough realities. Um, But we're also exploring some encouraging truths about our spiritual state. This is a little bit like a spiritual reality check. This is Paul saying, you were like this now, but now by God's grace, you you are like this. Okay? So, we're going to explore a little bit more Um, We're going to get right into the thick of it right away, okay? You guys ready? All right. I don't don't know. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Anyway, here we go. Um, The first thing that Paul wants us to see here is that by nature, you were spiritually dead. Okay? This is the first thing that Paul wants us to know is that before having a relationship with the living God of the Bible, you were spiritually dead. You were not just merely spiritually sick. You were not spiritually injured. You did not just need a helping hand, right? Paul says says you were spiritually dead, unable to revive yourself on your own, completely dependent on God to raise you up from the dead. And this is what he says in verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So this is our natural spiritual state without God is spiritually dead. On a spiritual level you and I are no more capable of pulling it together of raising ourselves up from the dead than the chair that you're sitting on today. We are were without any hope of being able to make ourselves right with God on our own. We're spiritually dead. And what is it that left you spiritually dead? Paul says, your sin left you spiritually dead. So what I want us to see is that our sin isn't just something to shrug off, right? It isn't just, well, you know, it feels good, so it's probably not that bad, right? It's not, well, I know I shouldn't have done it, but, you know, they probably kind of deserved it, right? No, this, the result of sin is death. And your sin is primarily an issue of life and death between you and the God of the universe. And this is what we see from the beginning of Scripture as well. We see that God made man and he put him in a garden and he says to him in Genesis 2, he says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. that's, That's the promise of God. Sin leads to death. Disobey God, and the result is spiritual death. And so if we read a little bit further on, we kind of see how this plays out. We see the man and the woman, they're in the garden, and we're told that Satan shows up, right? It says that he appears as this serpent, and he shows them the tree, and then he goes to the woman. And he says to the woman, he says, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, he said... She says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. And so God says, When you sin, you will die. And Satan tells them, Don't worry about what God says, you will not die. And what happens? They eat of the fruit, right? But do they die? They actually don't see a physical death immediately as a result of their sin, right? God kicks them out of the garden where his presence was, right? And they lived outside of the garden. They did not die physically from their sin. They died spiritually. They lost their relationship with God as a result of their sin. They were kicked out of the presence of God. And so when God said, in that day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die, he's telling them, your sin leads to spiritual death. Separation between you and God. And this is our natural state. And so if we look back at Ephesians, why is Paul reminding us of this? Right? Because we are prone to believe that our sin does not lead to death. That the number one, and that's the number one lie of the, of the devil, is don't worry, your sin is not that bad. It does not lead to death. You will not surely die, is what Satan says. But in reality, in reality, our sin doesn't just make us simply flawed or imperfect. It makes us spiritually dead. Not just in need of a hand. Not just, I can fix myself by doing better. Not any of those things. By nature, you were spiritually dead. And not only that, by nature you were actively opposing God. So that's point number two. By nature, you were actively opposing God. By our natural selves, we do not seek God. In fact, we oppose him and follow the ways of the devil. And that sounds a little bit harsh, right? You might be thinking, like, I don't follow Satan. I'm not in some, like, weird Satanic cult. And and yet, let's look at the reality of things. We all have sinned. We've all said, yeah, like, it's not that bad. We've all believed the lie of the serpent, that our sin doesn't lead to death. Therefore, when we sin, who are we following? Are we following Satan or are we following God? Paul says, we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That term, the prince of the power of the air, that's just another term for the devil. He says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So you were by nature carrying out your own desires as opposed to the will of God. That's what we're doing when we sin. We're doing things our way instead of God's way. Our mind is set on what we want instead of what God wants. And before I became a Christian, you know, there were, there were many things that I was focused on, right? And none of, none of which had to do with pleasing God at all. I was focused on what was good for me, when it was good for me, right? I even claimed to be a Christian because my family are Christians, but I did not take my sins seriously because I believed the lie that my sin did not lead to death, right? Even the good things that I did were based on if it worked out for me or if somehow it would benefit me. And it was all about me. It was not about God. It was about me. And I was carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And that is what I was focused on. And that's what Paul is saying here. This, this is of all of us here before God saved us. Right? This isn't what God is like. This is what the devil is like. Because Satan tells you, do whatever you like. It doesn't lead to death. And it's not that bad. And we listened. Right? We follow the prince of the power of the air. And so our nature is to oppose God. So by nature, you were spiritually dead. You were actively opposing God. And finally, by nature, you were destined to face God's righteous judgment. And I promise it's going to get better. Um, but we do have to go through this first. I know it's a little bit depressing right now. Um, but there is good news at the end of this. Paul says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And again, this is the reality check because we have sinned and actively opposed God. Because we followed Satan rather than God, we've picked our side, right? We've chosen the way of the world as opposed to God's way. We've put our minds on our own selfish desires rather than God's ways. And so... If left in our own sin, God is fully just and righteous to destine us to face his judgment. You may not like that, but that is what's fair. And this is what we deserve because of our nature. Right? So by nature, you were spiritually dead, actively opposing God and destined to face God's righteous judgment. And if we ended there, that would be a pretty depressing sermon, right? Yeah. But fortunately, that's not where we're ending. Um, here's what Paul says in verse 4. He continues, he says, But God. And I want us to stop at just those two words for a minute because we could spend an entire sermon uh, on just those two words. And I'm sure entire sermons have been written on those two words, but God. So notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, but you got your life together. He doesn't say, but you learned to love yourself. He doesn't say, but you found some good deep inside of you. He doesn't say any of that. He says, but God, right? God did this to you. It was the power of the almighty God that saved you from your sin, that raised you from your spiritual death, that inclined your heart towards him when you were following the devil, that changed your destiny from facing his eternal judgment to facing his love forever. You do not have the power to do that, but God does. Right? Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So let us not be the armchair quarterback here, right? We did not earn our sin. We did not earn the victory. We were dead in our sins. We rebelled against God just like the devil. We did all we wanted to according to our own desires and we were destined to face God's judgment. But God, God made us alive. God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. God made us his workmanship and works for us to walk in. We didn't do this. God did this. And he did so by coming to earth as Jesus. He lived in every way that we should according to the will of God. He died the death that we should have died on the cross facing the wrath of God we deserved for our sins and raised to life again, defeating the power of death. God did that for us. Not we, but God. And so let's, I want to spend the rest of the time looking at what God did for us. God did this for us because He loved us out of the mercy that He had for us. Let's read the, uh, the sorry this, uh next point here. By God's grace, you are spiritually alive. Paul says, "But, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And you can read a little bit more about this in the book of Acts in chapter 2. But what we see is that after Jesus was raised for the dead, God poured out his spirit on all the believers. Right? So if you put your faith in Jesus, then you have God's spirit living in you. That's the spiritual life that you have. That's what it means to be spiritually alive. You are no longer a slave to the power of sin and death. God's spirit of life now lives inside of you. There's no spiritual life in us if we do not have God's spirit living in us. But because of God's mercy and love toward us, he has made us spiritually alive through his son, Jesus. And he did this because he loved us. He didn't do this because we deserved it, right? It says that because of his great love with which he loved us. We were dead and God made us alive. It's the amazing power of God. Right? So not only by God's grace are you spiritually alive, by God's grace you are now focused on things eternal. Right? I want to ask you something. Who here has been on like a really nice vacation where like, I don't know, maybe it was like a, a destination or, or like a, a, a nice uh, tropical like destination or something like that, and, uh, or even just like going out to the lake, and you like didn't wanna come back. Who's, who's been on vacation like that? Good, a little bit more participation. I was like, we need to get you guys on vacation or something. All right, well, <laughs> so what happens when, uh, when you have to come back, right? You go to work, you go back to work, and like you're still really not completely there, right? Your mind is still on that vacation. So someone might notice that and they, you know, they might come up to you and, and say like, hey, it doesn't seem like you're fully with us. And you're like, yeah, sorry, like I'm still in Jamaica or wherever it is or I'm still at the lake or something like that. What do you mean by that though? Right? You're obviously not still on vacation. Your mind, uh, what you mean by that is that your mind that's where your mind's at. Right? Your brain is still in vacation mode. And so that's sort of what Paul is, is, is saying here. That's, that's kind of what's happening. Paul says, In verse 6, he says, uh, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is now rather than being focused on our own desires, we are focused on heavenly things. Things that are eternal. That's where our mind is at. That's, That's what our focus is now because God has saved us. We no longer are focused on our own passions of our flesh and And doing things our way and focused on our sin and and that kind of thing anymore. We are focused on things eternal. We're focused on things that will last forever because God saved us and changed our hearts. We're no longer living for our own passions. God put his spirit inside of us and he changed our desires so that we are now living for him. We're living for the kingdom of God now. We used to be chasing our own desires and passions, and now, because God has changed our hearts, we are able to live for things eternal. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places. So where Christ is, that's where we are. So by God's grace, you are spiritually alive, you are focused on things eternal, and finally, by God's grace, you are destined for good works. So God did this, so that you could participate in it. So we could get off up off, off, off the couch and so that he could work his power through us. God saved you so that you could participate in his glory, so that we could he could work in and through you. So we're not called to be the armchair quarterback to sit and observe. No, God saved you so that he could live. I'm going to say that again. God saved you so that he could live through you. And Paul says in verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I was thinking about that, that this week, and I love the language that he uses here. We are his workmanship, right? So this summer... I had a few projects uh, around the house that I was able to work on. And then that was uh, that I built a bench. Um, Juan, have you seen it yet? I don't know. You'll have to come over soon. But anyway, I thought you might have seen it. Anyway, here's a picture for you. That's the bench I built. How do you like that? Okay, Juan, Juan's with us now. All right. Juan, Juan's seen it now. <laughs> all right, anyway. Uh, but this was a, a little project that I had over, over uh, the summer while we were all being quarantined and having to stay home. Um, so what I did was I found uh, in our backyard, I found there was a bunch of old fence posts that my landlord was just going to throw away. So they were kind of just laying to the side. They were really old, really dirty. And I decided, I, I saw them and I was like, Hey, if they're just gonna get thrown out, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try. I'm not much of a like a handyman, really. I've done a little bit, but I was like, maybe I'll see if I can put something together. So I I took um, I had to like unscrew them from like the their posts. I sanded them up, tried to like patch all the holes and and that kind of thing. And um, I made these plans. I like actually like measured everything out, and I like wrote on paper like how this was gonna look. And yeah, it was really exciting. So I took them and um, I took something that was destined for destruction, right? These posts were just going to be thrown in the garbage. And I changed its purpose. So I made it so that it had a new purpose. I gave it like new life, so to speak. And this is what Paul is saying here, right? What once was destined to face God, God has now made his workmanship. Isn't that amazing? He has given us a new purpose. He has good works planned for those who believe in Jesus. Right? We were destined to face God's wrath and God said, I'm going to take you and I'm giving you a new purpose. I'm giving you new life. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you are no longer after your own desires, but you are after the desires of my heart. How amazing is that that God did that for us? By God's grace, you are spiritually alive. You are focused on things eternal. And you are destined for good works. We're going to wrap up in just a minute. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, honestly, we've talked about some pretty tough realities today. Right? But I want you to know that there is hope. And, and here's what I want you to understand. If you will turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, which simply means acknowledging that you are a sinner and that your sin has separated you from God. It has ruined your relationship with God and you are incapable of restoring that relationship on your own. Right? You cannot do this on your own. This, is a, this calls for a spiritual renewal. And it calls from going spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. If you will say, I can't, but Jesus can, then God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Right? And not only that, but as we talked about, He turns you from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, to focused on the things of the, the passions of your own, own heart to God's passions. He sets your mind on things eternal, and He has good works. Predestined for you to walk in. Right? There's hope for these things, but it is not within you. It is from God. And if you're here and you're a Christian, Paul writes this so that you would remember who you were. Right? He wants you to know who you were, but more importantly, that you would know now who you are because of what God did for you. God saved you to live in you to change your heart towards him and to work through you to do good works. You were saved from death to life. You were saved from selfish desires to eternal desires. And you were saved from an, eternity, an eternal destiny of judgment to the good works which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So walk in them by the life that God gives you, by his spirit, with your mindset on things eternal. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you loved us. God, we, this is not of our own doing. Our salvation is not because we did anything. It's because you did something. You stepped up when we were powerless. And by your power, we are saved. We thank you that you raised us from the dead like you raised Jesus. God, that's what it took. It took the power that raised Jesus from the dead to raise us from the dead, from our spiritual death. That's the same power that you did in us. And we thank you for that. God, help us to to live in a way that honors you. Put our mind on the things instead of our own passions and our own desires. Help us to seek after the kingdom of heaven. Seek things that are eternal and everlasting instead of things that are fleeting and will fail and will wither away. God, we thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And help us to, to remember us daily as we put our faith in you. Help us to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. God, we thank you. Praise pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtlgmail.com at or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.